forgot my glass of water this morning. Unfortunately, the glass down there is also empty, so uh, just excuse me if I sound a little hoarse. Now that my wife is out of the room, um, <laughs> just sort of joking, uh, we'll be greeting the church on tomorrow, although we've already started greeting our house. And last year, we went without Christmas decorations at all. Uh, we typically go up north uh, for Christmas, so we leave like on the 21st of December, and we're gone like all through New Year's. What's the point of Christmas decorations? Uh, this year, Megan tried to con me into allowing us to play Christmas music starting October 1st. <laughs> that did not go over well with me, um, so, but she did get to put up her Christmas decorations, and we'll have a tree up soon and all that fun stuff. Um, and it, as Randy said, if any of you wants to get into the extra Christmas smear, spirit tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, you can help unload trees, and it's very enjoyable. Help you get into the season. So, uh, Before we actually get to Christmas, though, and before we even get to the Iron Bowl, uh, we have to go through Thanksgiving. Philippians 4.4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Today, sort of in the spirit of thanksgiving, um, we'll explore the idea of rejoicing always, and not just rejoicing God for the great and good things in our lives, but giving thanks to God for the nothingness, uh, giving thanks to God for the barren times, giving thanks to God when we're discontent, and even still giving thanks to God in the midst of and for our sufferings. Our main idea this morning, uh, supported by scripture, is that a a believer must thank God for nothing. Um, But not only for nothing, but to thank him for suffering. And this thanks, it's this praise, this rejoicing and the joy, it's this delight, based not on circumstances, but based on the unchangeable nature and character of God. That draws us closer to God and brings glory to him. So if you're able, if you turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 5, and if you're able and willing, could you please stand with me while we read God's word out loud. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Father God, may you bless your word this morning. Lord, may you uh, just speak truth uh, through me and to us. Father, we would be able to rejoice in all things, including our sufferings. God, we thank you so much for all that you do and all that you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So Romans 5 is one of the great portions of Scripture. You know, it's a joyful reminder of the security and peace and hope that Christians have as a result of Christ's death on the cross. You know, it also reminds us exactly what Jesus did accomplish on the cross, namely reconciliation, which is bringing peace between a sinful man and a righteous God. You know, it's, it's the beautiful gospel of grace in just a few verses here in Romans 5. Um, primarily this morning, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4 in chapter 5. You know, we're going gra- to grapple with this idea of not just persevering and enduring through adversity and hardship, but giving thanks to God in the midst of and because of our suffering. And this is a little bit odd to us because if you're anything like me, usually we do a great job of thanking God for the good things in life. You know, for the, for the blessings that he gives us. You know, thank you, God, for um, helping me find a job or helping me get a car. Um, thank you, God, for helping me pass my test. Or, or if you're me this week, uh, I had a mishap with a screwdriver involving a dryer. And um, whereas I thought I could simply take a few things apart on my dryer and fix it. You know, I, I had a screwdriver. That's all I had. And I was inside the drum of the dryer. And there's three little screws do not ever remove those three screws from your dryer. <laughs> because when you do, the drum of the dryer falls off the back bracket and you have to take the entire thing apart in order to put it back together. It took about six hours. Uh, Randy came over to the house on Friday, his day off, and uh, I was nearly in tears on, fr- on Thursday night trying to do this and I was about ready just to put this thing out of its misery. Um, but fortunately, he came over, and we took the entire thing apart, put it all back together, and I was thanking God for helping me put my dryer back together. Um, so usually we thank God for things like that, for the good things in life. And while it's important to thank God for, for all the good things that he does for us, we're also instructed to give thanks in all circumstances, in all situations. You know, to thank God for our sufferings. You know, so because... As we do that, let's look at what suffering does in the life of a believer. You know, first of all, suffering strengthens Christians. You know, you've heard the expression, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, we see that a lot on t-shirts as people are completing like 12-mile fun runs while we're eating burgers. Um, you know, usually these workout sickos and people that like to exercise, um, they'll put that on the back of their shirt as some type of inspiration. Well, that's not just true for those type of people, but it's true for Christians also. As a follower of Jesus, you can be strengthened and refined through suffering. You know, Paul tells us here that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Perseverance is one of the most noble character traits that you can develop. You know, it means enduring through obstacles, remaining steadfast in your beliefs, being determined and seeing through the course. You know, perseverance is born and displayed in how we respond to suffering. You know, do I slink away or do I rise to the occasion? You know, do I fall back or do I surge ahead? You know, God uses suffering to build that perseverance, 
to build our character, to give us hope. Not, not to say that suffering is solely for the purpose of producing those things, but to say that God can use even the most painful and trying circumstances in our lives for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. If we flip over to James chapter 1, James kind of echoes here what Paul is saying in Romans. In 1, 2 through 4, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because that you, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, how many of us, like Romans says, glory in our suffering? Or how many of us, like James says, consider our, our pain pure joy? You know, how many of us are pleading with God to strengthen us through trials and tribulations. But yet that's exactly how God operates. You know, for a biblical example of persevering, uh, strengthening through suffering, uh, we can look at the Old Testament and the life of Joseph. You know, this is a man who's sold into slavery by his brothers uh, after they're jealous of him. Uh, he's falsely accused and imprisoned in a foreign land. Um, in prison, he makes some friends, and then he's forgotten by his friends, and and. And, and you would think that he's so cursed. And yet we see that God is using this moment and is using these things in his life uh, to raise him up, to prepare him for what he's about to do. And, and it winds up that, that Joseph is able to uh, save an entire nation from catastrophic famine because of the perseverance and character that he's developed through all these trials. That God uses everything in his life to bring him to that moment. You know, at the end of Genesis chapter 50, Joseph reunites with his brothers, and these are the, the ones that despised him and hated him and sold him into slavery. And Joseph reconciles with them by saying this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You know, in the New Testament, we don't look any further than the life of Paul. He's the author here of Romans. You know, Paul was confronted on his way. Um, he was going to arrest and persecute Christians uh, when he is confronted by the risen Jesus Christ who blinds him. Um, he blinds him and he rescues him. Uh, he, he brings him out and then he gives him a mission of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He has this mission to the Gentiles, and yet this is what we find out about Paul from his life. Uh, chapter 11, verse 23 to 27. Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. And have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. With no further knowledge of Paul, you would think that he is either the most unlucky man to walk the earth or cursed by God. 
And yet Paul is the one here that is writing that we should rejoice in our suffering. How does he know that we can rejoice in suffering? It's because he's lived it. You know, suffering is his life. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been beaten. He's been given the 40 lashes minus one three times, which is supposed to lead you to the edge of death. Uh, he's been abandoned by, uh, by his followers. Um, he's been left out to sea. And yet he understands firsthand that God uses all these things to strengthen him. So suffering serves to strengthen believers, but also serves to sanctify believers. And, and sanctification is just the process in which a Christian becomes more like Jesus. It's, the, it's a process of becoming holy and being refined and becoming pure. Uh, Zechariah 13.9 says this. He's talking about the remnant of Israel. He says, This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. So the third that he's talking about is a faithful remnant of Israel, the true followers of God. Two-thirds of Israel was either destroyed or cast away. But this faithful third was preserved and refined by God. Uh, Malachi 3 says this also. He says, he will sit, it says this of God, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So there was a, there's a story of a, of a women's Bible study that was reading this passage in Malachi 3. And they were wondering, you know, what is a refiner of silver? What do they do? And so one of the women goes and she says, you know, okay, this week I'll go and I'll find out about silversmithing, so silversmiths, and I will come back um, and report to the group. And so she finds one, calls him up, says, hey, can I, you know, without telling him what she's doing, can I go and can I learn about the process of refining silver? He says, Sure. And she comes, and she comes and sits next to him, and he takes the silver, and she's watching as he takes it and places it in the middle, in the hottest part of the fire. And he sits there. And he says, I've got to put it in the very middle, in the very hottest part, so that all the impurities will burn off. And she said, well, do you just leave it there? Or what happens? No, I have to sit right here the whole time, and I have to watch it, because if I leave it in too long, it will get destroyed. She says, well, how, well, how do you know when it's done? How do you know when it's time to take it off? He says to her, oh, well, that, that's easy. Silver is refined when I can see my image in it. You know, God, like a skilled craftsman, holds his people in the midst of the fire to remove their impurity and to take on his image. You know, he allows them to experience moments of intense pain and suffering to bring about their ultimate good and his ultimate glory. It's this is not a spiteful thing, but a loving act. You know, because of the fallen nature of mankind, people cling, we cling to sin. You know, we carry it around with us. We, we bury it beneath the surface. We hide it so that no one can see it. You know, but all the while, it's still there within us, just waiting at any moment to take control. But no matter how far down we bury it, God can still see it. We can't hide it from God. And God can use that suffering to expose our sin. You know, not to him, because it, it's always there. Our sin is always condemning us, but he exposes it to ourself. And he, God brings us to moments of weakness so that we can be purified, and that we can be renewed and restored. You know, suffering allows us the opportunity to deal with that sin. It brings us to repentance. It brings us before Jesus, who is willing and able and capable to forgive. 
You know, so suffering strengthens believers and it sanctifies believers. It produces character and hope and perseverance. You know, these qualities that are unattainable outside of testing and trial. You know, a person who's never suffered has also never persevered or had to rely on hope. You know, they've never been brought to their knees before Jesus Christ. They've, not, they've never been brought to the point of raw anger and frustration, um, anguish before God, who in his mercy allows us to suffer. You know, it's been said that, that we're all in different stages, that we're either in the midst of a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or we're about to head into one. So, so here's a, just a couple words of encouragement for those of you who are either in the midst of suffering or coming out of it or about to go in it. In all of our suffering, no matter how great, Christians are secure. You know, here's a lie about suffering. This lie says that human suffering is proof that God doesn't care about you. You know, if God loved you so much, he would never allow this to happen, whatever that is in your life. But Romans 5 says, do you want proof of God's love for you? Here it is. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man and died on the cross for our behalf. And he did all this while we were undeserving. Verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10 tells us that we weren't just sinners, but enemies of God. We were blasphemers and assailants and slanderers and assassins to the character and nature and image of God. And for you and I, the adversaries of the Most High King, God sent his son to suffer on our behalf. You know, we're able to enjoy peace with God because he has taken the divine wrath that we deserved and loved us as only Christ deserved. You know, would you volunteer yourself or your child to suffer in the place of a criminal that caused your family unspeakable pain and agony? That's what God does for us. And that's what he did for us. You know, he has gone about the work of reconciling us to himself. And if God has loved us already in this great way, no circumstance in life, no matter how painful, could ever prove otherwise. You know, we're secure in that peace, and Jesus promises that once we are his, that no one can snatch us out of his hand. You know, God is with us in our suffering. He's promised to not allow you to suffer more than you can bear. He is a shield, a fortress, a strong tower, an ever-present help in time of need. When you call on him, he will answer you. If he has rescued you already from your sin, how much more is he able to rescue you from your current situation? You know, Megan was uh, changing Kaylin the other day, and she's going through a period, I think like most children do, where she hates having things pulled over her head. You know, so any time that you go to change her or put a onesie on her or put on her shirt or anything like that, she will go catatonic. You know, she'll cry and she'll scream and she'll sob. And so Megan takes her in the other room and I can hear through the baby monitor that, that she starts screaming and screaming and, and all of a sudden she goes, Dada, Dada, Dada. She's getting really excited. Then Megan says to her, Kaylin, Daddy's not going to save you from putting on your shirt. <laughs> you know, even though I'm kind of a sucker with Kaylin, I'm not going to hold her back from this tiny amount of suffering, which is ultimately for her good. You know, we don't want a naked baby walking around our house or sitting around our house at the moment. Um, in the same way, God will allow us to suffer for our ultimate good, but we are secure in his hands, and he is able to save us. 
Not to save us from the petty things like putting on your clothes, but to save us from the true, agonizing, torturous suffering and pain that we go through. You know, God, we are secured in our suffering through God. And also, also take heart in knowing that God sympathizes with suffering. You know, Christ sympathizes with our suffering. In Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, Jesus Christ endured the cross, scorned its shame. He endured opposition from sinners, so that we could consider him as we're going through suffering, and not grow weary. Hebrews 2 says that, verse 18 says that, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, Jesus knows suffering. He can sympathize and empathize with our greatest moments of pain and sorrow. You know, he went through the same things that we did. He knows pain. He knows loss. He knows disappointment. He knows rejection. And in all of this, he knows us. Also remember this, that for a believer, suffering is only temporary. The Bible tells us that, that life is but a vapor and that this world is wasting away. When I was up in Pittsburgh, we had a, this associate pastor of a, of a church plant of ours. Um, young guy, loved the Lord, was doing amazing urban ministry. Um, he had three young kids, a beautiful wife. And yet he goes in and to the doctor for a checkup, and they found out that he had colon cancer. So he finds this out in April. You know, he's doing amazing things for God, and all he wants to do with his life is tell people about Jesus. And so, he, so he's going through treatment and, and he's writing these updates, he's sending out emails, he's blogging about all the different things that he's going through and he's witnessing to, to nurses and doctors in the hospital and other patients in the oncology ward. And, and he gets sick to the point where he can't write anymore, but his wife does. And the whole entire time, every single email, every single blog post, he is thankful to God in the midst of his suffering. So he goes through about six months. He gets a little bit better. He's got, some, he got a good prognosis. Um, and then he gets a phone call from his doctor and says, come down right away. Um, turns out that he had developed a stage four cancer, very aggressive, untreatable. This is what he writes four days after receiving that diagnosis. Body troubled, body worn, body victim of a fallen world scorn. Mind sometimes able, yet my wires often crossed. I know I am a found man, but often feel lost. Never felt weaker, never seen him so strong. This gospel reality to the world seems wrong. But it is right, let me tell you. It is right, and it is true. And I'm getting it more as I'm being reduced. His mercy immerses me, his grace freely loosed. He pours his love over me, and its warmth brings healing. I'm humbled and thankful, and find myself kneeling. Father on high, Son at the right, Holy Spirit within me, display all your might. You three, yet one, working your great perfection, addressing my sin, removing its infection. With naked heart and needs easy to see, you win all my battles, and thus set me free. 
And Mark Smith wrote this in November of 2004, and uh, he went on to ultimately be set free two months later. And he left behind a, a family and a wife that the entire time their witness to Christ was amazing because they were so thankful. You know, God is able to bring beauty out of chaos and joy out of pain. He's able to bring good from evil. And sometimes our suffering is for our benefit, for our refining. And we're to thank God for allowing us to go through it. Let's pray. First Thessalonians five sixteen to 17 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the pain and sorrow that so many in this room carry with them today. Jesus, I ask that you would enable us to follow your command to give thanks and rejoice in all circumstances to give you thanks for the great things and blessings and people that you've given to us. Lord, and also for the nothings and disappointments and discouragements and failures. Lord, you are greater than all of our hopes or fears. May you be glorified in every moment of our lives. Father, may you bring comfort and hope and healing to those who so desperately need your care. It's in the strong and steadfast and enduring name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.